are listening to the Current Reality Podcast, where we talk about staying rooted in biblical reality within the current of modern culture. We are your host. My name is Michael Clary, and I am with Wade Thomas. Both of us are on staff at Christ the King Church in Cincinnati, Ohio, and that's the church that makes this podcast possible. So, Wade, I'll kick it over to you to get things going. What you got for us today? So we're going to begin the topic of abortion. I have a quote uh, that I'm going to read to you uh, to kind of lay out how our world is crazy. All right. Um, that's the assumption that you're going you're gonna, to uh, take with me here, that we are currently in a landscape that is far more um, off its rocker than on its rocker. Yeah. So Peter Singer is an Australian uh, ethicist. He, I believe, teaches at Princeton University, which is a well-known Ivy League school. Um, and 10, 15 years ago, I think, he, he really started making headwaves with his view on uh, that if your child is born with a disability, you, the parent, should be allowed to kill that child. Uh, and he You're was, talking about after the child is after born? After the child is born, right. Okay. Post-birth, a, a parent should be allowed to kill their newborn baby. Uh, if he or she has a disability. Okay. And he's defending this uh, philosophically and ethically. So he's not saying this as a stand-up comedian or a cultural commentator. This is a man who's been trained in the academy to make arguments about ethics. So this is an influential man. He's an ethicist. Right. Right. Okay. Right. So he's saying, here's how uh, I, I have been trained by the academy to take arguments and deductive reasoning and logic and even uh, the history of ideas and to teach you world, Western world in his case, how to apply those things. So, I mean, I'm, I'm sure he wants to be influential in the world of applied ethics, uh, politics, and uh, what cultures should do. So he, he has defended that. He has not backed off of it, really. Uh, and so this is a quote from, I believe, last year in The New Yorker. My view, so this is Singer talking. Uh, my view then was that parents of children born with serious disabilities ought to have the option of ending the life of their child immediately after birth or as soon as the diagnosis has been properly established. It's not true to say that I support euthanasia for disabled infants. Now, that may seem kind of confusing yeah. because of what he just said, but here's the next sentence. It's not true that I think that disabled infants ought to be killed. I think the parents ought to have that option. So he's kind of doing a little bit of clever word games there, I think, where he's saying, it's not like I support euthanasia. I'm just saying you should have the option. Yeah. So he's defining euthanasia as disabled babies must be murdered. And I'm not saying they must be murdered. I'm saying we should have the option to murder them. Yeah. So that's not euthanasia, guys. Wink, wink. Uh, then he says, let me say a couple of things in relation to that. First, parents do have that option right now in every country that allows abortion when a prenatal diagnosis has shown that there's a disability. So see, guys, you already do some of what I'm saying, because if you find out the baby has Down syndrome, you let the parents abort the baby. How is that different from what I, atheist, ethicist Peter Singer, am saying? First, Parents do have that option in every country that allows abortion when a prenatal diagnosis shows there's a disability. I don't draw a big distinction between abortion and infanticide. Those who think that it's okay for women to have an abortion need to show why there's such an important difference between the fetus before birth and the newborn infant after birth. Hmm. So here you've got an atheist, Ivy League ethicist and philosopher saying, there's not that big of a difference, guys, between the baby in the womb 
and the baby out of the womb. I'm just taking your pro-choice sentiments and logic to the necessary conclusion. Yeah. In one of the methods of abortion, dilation and extraction, and we'll, we'll get into this in a little bit here when we talk about the lay of the land, but just to kind of comment on what, on what you're saying and how that's 100% accurate. One of the methods of abortion is dilation and extraction. So that's where they pull an mm -hmm. intact DNA, where they pull a baby, a fully formed baby, out mm -hmm. of the womb. But they make sure that it's dead first. Now, hmm. you could keep that baby alive in theory. I mean, we deliver, I think, in the United States, premature babies that survive at six months. So you could have kept that baby alive. It looks like a baby. It does yeah. all the things that a baby would do. It's just very, very, very premature. Yeah. But you're saying it's okay to kill it right now because it was inside the uterus. Right. But if I walk into uh, the NICU at our world-famous Good Samaritan Hospital here in Cincinnati, and I just smother a baby who was born prematurely in the NICU, that's murder. That's homicide. Right. And Peter Singer, I think, is rightly saying... Logically, that doesn't compute. Yeah, it's inconsistent. Yeah. Because, I mean, there's, I, I know like with, with every week past 24 weeks, I mean, 24 weeks would be incredibly premature for a child to be born. But uh, it's not unheard of for a child to survive, you know, being born at 24 weeks. And there's all kinds of medical, um, you know, life-saving measures that could be taken to sustain that child until they can grow. Yeah. Um, but a, an abortion could conceivably be, you know, be done much later than that um, to a child that would be, you know, 30 weeks old, let's say, for example. Um, and for the one, it would be if, if a, let's say a 26-week-old baby were born premature and were in an incubator, and then you have a 26-week-old baby that were still in utero, you could abort the one, you could not kill the other. And right. that's it's the same age, the same stage of development. It's, a, it's an inconsistent thing. The logic of abortion should not preclude infanticide. And so it, I think Singer's logic, while it's, he's being consistent, right. and his consistency shows the, the, just how horrific abortion is. Um, yeah, it, I mean, it's, it's, an, it's an unthinkable thing that somebody would openly promote this as a, as a viable ethical option. Yeah. And it's, it's logically consistent in that it applies the assumptions and the presuppositions of what the pro-choice person doesn't even realize usually they are upholding. So we believe correctly that God made human beings and that he knits babies together. Obviously, he uses means, but he is the author of human life. He made Adam. He made Eve. He produced childbearing. He loves babies. And every human being has worth and dignity because God is his or her author. Because we believe that, it is therefore wicked to kill babies inside the womb right. or outside the womb. Yeah. But if you don't believe that, if you, if you believe that we are the product of time plus chance plus genetic yeah. mutation, then why? why? Why does any human being have intrinsic dignity or worth? I think, I think Singer probably would say something like, it's, it's really not objectively true that a human being has value. We yeah. say they have value because they can feel certain things at certain stages, but if they can't feel those things yet, they're an animal just like an aardvark is an animal. Yeah, well, what you were saying about if a child has some um, a handicap or disability, mm -hmm. then it is ethical to kill that child because they cannot function at the same capacity that a, a healthy child could. Right. 
And so that's a utilitarian view of the value of a human life. If they can do certain things, if they have a certain IQ, if they have certain physical abilities, right. then they are worthy of life. If they're not able to do all of those things, then at least we should have the option. They're at least less worthy of life. Right. And it is an ethically appropriate choice, according to Singer, to be able to kill that child. That's right. And I think most Christians today, uh, and definitely most citizens of the American Republic today, don't realize they're enjoying the fruit of Christianity and Christendom and biblical assumptions while they try to leave behind or ignore the root of that yeah. fruit. So the reason why Joe Biden can use uh, phrases like family and it evokes all yeah. of this moral sentiment and, and these good and positive connotations in your mind and in your heart is because you are living in a the, the remainder of a Christendom where uh, patriarchal households and where families had significant value and human beings within them had value. Obviously, Western nations have, have gone astray and have misapplied biblical teachings. Uh, that's, so that, that's not to say that Christendom has been perfect, but the fruits of Christendom are the value of the individual, right? the fact that human beings were made by a creator and therefore you don't get to just lawlessly take their lives, uh, fair play, honesty, uh, oppression being wicked, whether done from the state or done from one individual to another. All those things are the fruit of Christendom. And if you, uh, if you cut off the root and you try to have a society without biblical assumptions, you won't have that fruit very long. Right. Christianity built the house. Christianity that we're built the house. In. Right. That's exactly right. I yeah. will just read one more little bit from this, and then uh, we can we can move on. But Joe Biden uh, is referenced here in the next little section of this New Yorker article. Peter Singer says, uh, so the reporter first says, I have to say that comparing abortion at six months to infanticide is sort of the argument that one's political opponents could use against you. So it's almost like mm. he's trying to put the brakes on, hey, be careful, <laughs> be careful, Mr. Singer, you're going you're gonna to hurt our cause here. Uh, the sort of argument that, as we were talking about a minute ago, might not be worth making because of the potential backlash. And here's Singer's answer, and it's incredibly revealing. Absolutely, and I'm glad Joe Biden didn't make it before the last election. Wow. Oh, man. So he knows that what he is saying is incredibly unpopular and unpalatable, even though it is logically consistent within the worldview housing the pro-choice movement, hmm. the abortion movement. So it sounds like Singer does not have the confidence that his view is acceptable to a majority of the population, at least the voting Correct. age population. Correct. He does say it's public policy in the Netherlands. But yes, it sounds like he knows here, and I, and I would argue it's probably because of a lot of leftover Christian assumptions, right. like that human beings have intrinsic worth, not merely utilitarian worth, he knows they would be unpopular. Yeah. And so I think in his, I, I'm, I'm reading between the lines here a little bit, but I don't think I'm being unfair. In his perfect world, at some point, we would get to an America that would allow parents to murder their two-month-old with Down syndrome. Well, the, the logic has already been accepted in our society. I think the, the, the kernel of that logic, it's not been played out because human beings are not always intellectually consistent. So I think the logic has been adopted. People have b bought in to the idea that a child with some deformity, some, some disability is less worthy of living. That child could, should be aborted 
eventually, as we get our consciences seared in such a way that we can accept that, then it's only a matter of time until it will become more acceptable to right. be able to apply Peter Singer's logic for that to be the law of the land. Right. Especially as, I mean, you, you can see in uh, in Hitler's Germany, it, it wasn't that shocking to a good number of the, you know, academic Germans of his day to have concentration camps or to have euthanasia and eugenics uh, to, to a large number of the elite, I think, in in the Third Reich, that that seemed to be just a correct application of the Darwinian principles that they'd all adopted. Hitler Hitler was a thoroughgoing thoroughgoing Darwinian, right? Um, so it it's not that hard to imagine a, an America in twenty one hundred or twenty one fifty, if if we continue on this rebellion against the God of the Bible, the God who actually exists where we would arrive at that same sort of place. Where, of course, why can't I murder somebody with Down syndrome? They don't, human beings don't have intrinsic worth. I don't think it'll take until 2100. Uh, that's a depressing thought. I, I wish I had really good data to, to prove it wrong, especially because I want grandkids and I want them to grow up in a world that... Right. Well, we're recording this in November of 2022, and there were a number of ballot measures in various states yeah. across... Uh, the country. And unless unless I'm wrong, you can correct me if I'm wrong about this, but my understanding is that every single one of them failed. There was not a single I think that's right. um, life-protecting, life-affirming uh, um, initiative that was on the ballot for people to vote on directly that passed. All yeah. of them, all of them, it got worse for the pro-life cause. Yeah. Sadly, even in a state just to the south of us that I think still has quite a bit of hospitality towards biblical teachings and truths. Again, that does not mean every red state is great or that Christendom has always been perfect, but we have to account for the reality that there are states and nations and mm -hmm. epochs in the history of the world that are more hospitable to the Bible and what it teaches and that are less hospitable. And Kentucky, just to the south of us, relatively hospitable to uh, the Bible and to Jesus Christ being who he says he is, and yet it went down there. Yeah. The abortion measure down there. And I think it was a fairly simple measure. It was. Yeah. Just stating our Constitution does not give the right or does not protect the right to an abortion. So it wasn't even saying abortion will now be illegal in Kentucky. Right. It was a simple yes or no, do you agree that our state Constitution does not allow or protect abortion? And it, and it went down. And, and there was also a, a government funding uh, component to that same okay. language. So very, very disheartening. Uh, I think you're right. We can, we can get to this as we talk about the lay of the land, but I do have at least one. I don't have a ton of data to back it up, but I do have at least one sort of gut level uh, thought about why we could be somewhat hopeful about a generation or two from now. Yeah. Well, I think one of the reasons why the... Um, the pro-abortion agenda or activists have been so effective is their the propaganda is able to seize upon a particular narrative or a particular extreme case. And there was one um, in, I believe this was here in Ohio, yeah. uh, there was a child that was raped. Uh, I believe, was she 10 years 10 old? Years old yeah, yeah, a 10-year-old child that was raped, got pregnant, and then right in an election season, she is her case is being held up as an example of and and of course it it, it plays on the heartstrings because right. you see this child is a victim this child was certainly violated in the worst way um 
and so the to to say that well if we if we pass some pro-life legislation or if we pass this ballot initiative that would be you know life affirming then this child would be victimized for the rest of her life by being forced to carry a child to labor which could have had its own physical hardships for her just to give birth at that age when she's not not quite grown enough to be able to do that um, in a, at least under normal circumstances and so they play on narratives they find stories that break your heart right. that play on the play on that and and I've, I've heard it said once it just like hard cases make bad law and they make they want to make law on hard extreme cases the fringe issues that they want to normalize and then you know it, it's it's a it, it, it is a way it, it's sort of a uh, a head fake, you mm-hmm. know. It's like it's it's like you get you to look at this hard situation while neglecting to see or acknowledge the grave injustice that is done at, on mass scale of all these children that are being killed in the womb, right? By by seizing on a a sad story. That's exactly right. We're gonna play on emotions. Uh, it, it it has been the play of satanic ideologies, ideologies of death, uh, for time immemorial. Hitler did the same thing. Uh, casting Jews in a particular light through narrative and mm-hmm. um, his, his use of language so that he could then elicit an emotional response from people and use that to enact what he wanted to do. Uh, it's sort of like, hey, we're going to show you this sad story so that we can murder 800,000 babies per year, yeah. of whom the vast majority it, it is a, it is either a convenience abortion or it is an abortion uh, not at all akin to what you just described. Yeah. I mean, uh, the, the, the 10-year-old child, I mean, that is obviously a very, very extreme, very rare situation that is used to determine what is moral and good for all of society. Right. And Not just legal, but celebrated at this point. Yeah. Uh, and, and to that point, actually, let me read this one quote from the book Shout Your Abortion. A few years ago, the movement Shout Your Abortion sprang up. Um, trying to destigmatize abortion. Mm-hmm. So it's not merely that we want it to be legal. We want it to be uh, celebrated. We want it to be something that is normal. Yeah, that, I remember uh, that. So this is a quote. from The book has uh, a number of essays from women who had abortions. This particular essay is from Amy Brenneman, who was an actress. She was in the show Judging Amy in NYPD Blue years ago. Uh, she had an abortion. It might have been multiple abortions, but at least one I know. And this is the ending paragraph of her essay. The simple truth is this. If a sperm and egg come together when a child is desired, a human being is born. But if a sperm and egg come together when a woman knows in her bones that it is not the right time for her to be a mother, then perhaps what is born is her own confident agency over her life. Hmm. So we are going to define reality based on uh, what I choose. Yeah, It's a baby if I want it. It is not if I don't. Wow. Well, let's do a lay of the land. So uh, each week we want to take a look at the battle as it's raging across uh, the West, across the United States, across uh, even in some cases the Christian church or uh, Christianity. This is a chart um, from the Guttmacher Institute. The Guttmacher Institute is a research sort of organization that used to be under the Planned, Hood, Planned Parenthood umbrella. I believe now it's separated off as its own thing. But they are pro-abortion, mm-hmm. and they collect a lot of stats um, in a way that is horrifying to know and that one day um, our, our society will give an account for to, to the Lord. But here's a, a chart of 
seven countries where they polled the reasons why a woman had an abortion. And in three of the countries, the most cited reason was, quote, to end childbearing or remain child-free. Can you say that again? So that is the... The most cited reason for women having an abortion in South Korea, Thailand, and the Czech Republic. The most cited reason in three of the seven countries they studied was to end childbearing or remain child-free. So this is the this is the country itself. The country itself, all women who had an abortion that they studied, that was the reason given most frequently. Wow. To remain child-free. And that was within a context where they had other reasons they apparently could have selected, like um, prohibitive cost of parenthood, endangerment of maternal health, uh, abnormation, abnormalities in the fetus. So they had other options they could have chosen. Mm-hmm. But in three countries, the most chosen reason was to end childbearing or remain child-free. It was almost 60% of the women in South Korea who had an abortion. And that's in a country with a birth rate that's already 0.8. So most of the women have one or wow. fewer children. So this is the women report self-reporting, self-reporting why they got an abortion yeah. was for that reason. Was to remain child-free. Wow. And that, so that would be forever. Like they just do not Apparently. want children. Yeah, which it, which is reflected in the birth rate in South Korea. And so it does, it, it backs up what you're saying that um, this is actually the, the middle of the bell curve. Uh, the, the reason that is underlying most abortions uh, is not wanting a baby, yeah. not wanting that baby. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. Um, so my wife works at a pregnancy resource center, and um, what she has observed, um, so, the, so our, the pregnancy resource center she works at is right across the street from a Planned Parenthood. Um, and so at the Planned Parenthood, you have um, pro-life uh, demonstrators that will hold signs, and some of them have pictures of aborted babies mm-hmm. sometimes. It, it can be pretty graphic. Um, and they are um, – so that, that these women will sometimes encounter one of these street people. So they're headed to Planned Parenthood, and they will encounter one of the, the, the people working on the street. Um, and then – through a conversation, they will walk them over to where my wife works uh, at the Pregnancy Resource Center. And my wife's a registered nurse, and she will, she'll give them an ultrasound and show them a picture. Um, and the thing that was, has been fascinating, as my wife has told me stories about the women that she talks to there, is she says that they, these women, every one of them, they know this is a baby. There is nobody that uses the language of this is a clump of tissue, mm-hmm. uh, something like that. They all know it's a baby. Yeah. They know what they're doing, and they are they're tormented. Uh, so, now, some of them aren't. Uh, obviously, some of them are like, you know, I don't want this baby. Mm-hmm. I want to kill the baby. I know what I'm doing. Some some of them have been that bold. But many of these women are are kind of coming from a desperate situation. They mm-hmm. don't feel like they could care for the child. Uh, they're afraid. Um, maybe they, you know, they're w- was with a boyfriend that got them pregnant. He left, you know, ran out on her or something like that. And so they, they feel like they're, they're, they're terrified of their options, right. essentially. Um, but the thing that's amazing is like they know that they're killing a baby. And the thing that was really even perhaps even more surprising was that in at least at least at the one uh, where she works at but but it seems like this is held to be true is that the options that they consider 
are, are only two. You either abort the child or you raise the child yourself. Mm. There is to to get uh, to put up the child for adoption is is a is a shameful thing. More uh, shameful than more murdering. shameful, yeah, more shameful than an abortion. Um, so, so uh, adoption resources that's that that is that is barely considered. Mm. And so, the wh- whenever a client comes into her center, those are the two top options. It is either uh, an abortion or raising the child, and only in a very rare, extremely rare situation will they give up that child for adoption. Mm. So we live in a world where Jesus Christ is already king. Amen. And knowing that, he would have a calling for us in that situation. And I'm picturing that kind of a woman who is feeling as though she does not have any options. And I'm trying to play out in my mind, what would the Lord Jesus Christ, who is king over her, king over me, king over uh, the coffee shop where we're having the conversation, king over everything and everywhere. I know what he would have me do in situations with other sinners who are considering or cloaking their sins. So for instance, with a young man, we have a pretty, this is a pretty common problem in churches across America. We have a lot of young men who are struggling with pornography, temptation to it, or actually using it. There is a way to apply grace to that man, to call him to repentance, to, to incubate his conscience while at the same time letting him know I am for him. Yep. that I love him, that I see in him the the dignity that God has planted there um, so that it's not merely the power of the law, but also the power of the grace of Jesus Christ. The, the problem that we have with the abortion one is that your culture, your society can either um, apply shame that goes with the grain of how God made the world yes. or against it. Right. And right now... Uh, our culture is is attaching no shame to murdering your child when it's inside your uterus, and so we're kind of at a disadvantage as Christians. Yeah, because there is shame apparently in putting the child up for adoption, but not in having someone poison the baby inside your womb and yeah. then vacuum it out. Yeah, and so there's no agreed upon morality, right? That that we can that Christians can say, hey, like this is something that society-wide, we agree to, this is an evil thing, right. and here is how the gospel addresses that, and here are resources and helps that can be provided for you to um, to walk in repentance. We have to, it's like we ha- we're, we're having to uh, speak the gospel to something that isn't regarded as a exactly sin, right. at least not overtly. Um, and so I think that there are some who, they're, they're, they know it's a baby, and some of them, their consciences are troubled and others aren't, uh, or at least the way they present themselves. So right. some of the women will say, I know this is a baby. I know I'm killing a baby. I don't care. I don't want it. And other women, they, they really struggle. And my wife has been able to uh, minister to them, share the gospel with them, pray for them, and, and let them know um, that, that they, they have help. Yeah. So it's like the the model of of her the the place that she works the the, the model is sort of a um, they don't do they don't do the law part mm-hmm. um, where because they they do sense that that there is something innate within these women that recognizes this is a real human baby 
And so their model is more to encourage them to take that baby to term, to raise that child, to resource them. It's a, it's a, it's like a coach saying, you can do this. We, we will help you. We will give you diapers and wipes and car seat. We'll give you parenting classes. We will resource you. Um, there, so there, it is a, it is a very helpful and hopeful approach, um, for, for these women that are, um, that are on the fence. So whenever she first started working there, my, I don't know why I thought this, but my my assumption was that they would once in a blue moon, very rarely, um, be able to uh, minister to a person, and that that, that or that, that person would end up coming uh, that would come with an abortion mindset and leave with a I want to raise my child. Mm-hmm. I thought that was pretty rare, and um, it's been. My mind has been blown in a wonderful way by how many women my wife has been able to talk to and minister to, to give them hope. Um, She develops great relationships with these women. My wife is very, um, just a very compassionate uh, person. And like a lot of these women, um, I mean, they've saved so many lives, lives of babies. And my wife has been able to, some some of these women will come back after the baby's born, and all these ladies, you know, <laughs> come in there. They'll pass the baby around and ooh and on, um, and it's a it can be a wonderful thing. So I'm, I've been really encouraged by how showing grace. It's kind of like your pornography example. If you have a man who is just totally enslaved to pornography, and if he if he is given law alone, then there there will be a sense of shame right. that doesn't that doesn't necessarily help him to overcome. But if it's like, Hey, I'm yes, there's a, this is a shameful thing. This is a sin that offends God. I'm he gonna, should think he should think that correct. So here now I'm your brother. Um, and I want to help you. I'm going to hold you accountable. I'm going to encourage you. I want to pray for you. I want to text you, call you frequently, um, until you can walk in repentance to where you're free from this, uh, from this sin. I think the, to provide that sort of help and support has, has been a has been a real uh, difference maker for so many of these women who who come truly uh, open uh, yeah. to raising their children. Yeah, and it would be childishly arrogant for me to critique or try to down uh, to, to to throw any shade at their methodology. I have been there. Uh, the man who runs that place seems to me to be a, just a top-notch Christian, like a, a man yeah. who just in one short conversation I had with him, I, I was thoroughly impressed. Uh, and they have literally saved lives. I do just want to sort of tack on to the back end that our, our society should find it shameful to murder children in their wombs. Um, if we go back to 1850, I hope I would have been the kind of Christian who would have said, We as a society should be ashamed of chattel slavery. We go over to Africa, we kidnap people. They they do it to their own people as well, but we kidnap them. We bring them across in chains. A lot of them die on the way, and then we treat them like cattle in our fields. Um, We should be ashamed of that. That's right. While then also offering the grace of God in forgiveness, just like Paul did to uh, Philemon about his slave. Um so that the grace ultimately is the change agent, that as more yeah. people are regenerated by the grace of Jesus Christ, and as there's a revival, a spiritual revival, hopefully in any society, that the sin gets put to death by the power of the Spirit. Yeah. However, a society should, a state should, a governing body should penalize and uh, call shameful that which God would penalize and call yeah. shameful. Yeah, I think that's the real battle. Yeah. 
um, the, the, the battle is, is over the sense of, is this wrong or not? Right. And because it is given such cover in our society to where, a per, a, I mean, just think about the, the reality of what we're talking about. A, a woman could go into her, uh, to a doctor's office uh, that, or a place that performs abortions um, and have a real conversation about murdering a child right. and putting that child to death. And then that doctor has to perform the procedure that would end a child's life and extract that child's body from the woman's womb. Right. Um, and this is, we call this healthcare. Uh, we call this, um, uh, was it reproductive care, reproductive yeah, care or something? That's exactly right. It's an absurdity, but there's no shame associated with it. Um, and the, so without any sort of stigma at all, Christians have who are trying to uphold the value of life of the image of God that's within every human soul, including a, uh, a baby in utero. We're going to be we're going to be fighting an uphill battle because we're trying to fight against a cultural mindset that this is okay, and even within Christian circles, we're, we're finding people that don't have the stomach right to really acknowledge that and to say that, and it because we're going against culture and that. That right there is something I want to highlight as we're looking at the lay of the land and we're looking at the, the battlefield and I'm, we're, we're particularly talking to you Christians, although anybody uh, could benefit from, from the truth that we're, we're trying to uh, use to, to help you see the abortion landscape. To Christians in particular, I want to encourage you to think this way. If you believe you would have stood boldly against chattel slavery in the early part of the 19th century, yeah. but you are timid about speaking about the evils of abortion, and you want to qualify everything you say against abortion today with, now I'm not saying yeah. you are fooling yourself. That's right. You, you would not have stood against something that was societally acceptable but evil in the 1800s yeah. if you are not speaking against something that is evil but societally acceptable in the 2000s. Right. Well, Wade, you've said this a number of times. It's a it's a great way to put it, just about fighting yesterday's battles. Right. Everybody can win those. Everybody can win yesterday's battles. Everybody uh, is heroic and courageous about being, you know, anti-slavery. Right. Because that's a battle that's already over. It's already won. And the courageous people were the ones who paid a, a hefty price to oppose it in such a way that we're now able to enjoy a society that no longer upholds that as a, as a, as, as a valuable or even an acceptable thing in any shape or fashion. Yeah. Um, right now we would hope for envision a future where abortion is unthinkable, where people a hundred, 150 years from now, however long it would take that, that there will come a day in the future where people will look back That's right. and think with, with abhorrence that there were Christians who would make excuses for and and uh, justify uh, the practice of abortion and make it you know make a biblical case for it or somehow excuse it? Um, that, that's a shameful thing. Yeah, praise God for that day. I believe it's coming. Um, as we look at the lay of the land, let me give you one one quote here. This is from I read this last night. Uh, there there are different methods of abortion. Um, so there's vacuum, aspiration, there are medical abortions, which are chemical, uh, a certain uh, hormone or a certain chemical is given to the woman that kills the, the baby inside of her. There is um, dilation and extraction, however, and this, this particular type of abortion, uh, I, I don't know how 
a thinking human being could do it and not have their conscience just obliterated. Yeah. But this is this is from just the Wikipedia page about that particular kind of abortion, dilation and extraction, intact dilation and extraction, where they literally pull the baby out. Hmm. Um, the fetal skull is usually the largest part of the fetal body, and its removal may require mechanical collapse. Hmm. Mechanical Mechanical collapse. collapse. If it, the skull, is too large to fit through the cervical canal, decompression of the skull can be accomplished by incision and suction of the brain or by using forceps to collapse the skull. That's barbaric. Yes, it is. That's a, that's a scene from a horror movie that is protected by our federal government uh, and seen as healthcare. Yeah. So... As, as, we, yeah, as we examine uh, the American landscape here, I think the horror of abortion and our need to stand against the horror of abortion and to use clear, plain speech to confront yeah. it, those things are all essential. Let me also just offer one, one additional vantage point, though, here. So if, we're, if I'm on a hilltop and I'm just surveying the battlefield, there is one particular place or way in which the battle is happening that I think we need to be aware of as Christians. We as Christians view children as a debit, as a problem, yeah. uh, as, a, as a chore, yeah. as something that takes away from life. We roll our eyes about them making noise. Uh, we, we try to get them into a room in our church far away from us where someone else can watch them for a little bit. So thankfully, I can now worship God in some peace and quiet. Uh, and, I, and I'm not demeaning all children's ministries, but I do think this is a symptom of a problem. The fact that we do think it's normal to just segregate ourselves from our children because they make a lot of noise and they're mm -hmm. difficult. That's a symptom of a problem that makes abortion uh, more readily acceptable. Abortion and acceptance of abortion is happening in a climate where yeah. we view kids as a problem. Yeah. Whereas the Bible, when you read it, repeatedly talks about children as fruit, as yeah. a blessing, yeah. as quivers, as women who can't have them mourn in the Bible, like right. Hannah. Um, Rachel and Leah fight over who can have more children. Yeah. Uh, in, in Scripture, they are seen as, as something that God is giving to a married couple as a blessing. Yeah. We see them as a hindrance to our travel to Europe. It's not something we just think about naturally, which is what it means to be able to create a life. Right. Um, so biblical anthropology indicates that every human being that is brought into the world is an eternal soul. Yep. This is some. This is this is a a, a person created in God's image, and this person will go on forever. Yep. They will live forever. Um, from the from the moment of conception, from the moment of a life exists, that is an eternal soul that has eternal value. Um, and the fact that human beings can, can do this, that God has, has delegated this task. God created the first pair, mm -hmm. Adam and Eve, and ever since then, um, God has never fashioned a human being with his own hands. Uh, he works through human beings and human agency mm -hmm. to create life. And the lives that are created are, 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 are eternal in the sense that they will never cease to exist. Even, you know, even though you know the ones that are aborted may never see, um, they, may, they may never breathe air as yeah. uh, as, as we do. They they have a soul that will go on forever. That's right. And so the fact that we have the ability to do that, and God has given us the ability to do that, um, shows us the 
incredible value and what a responsibility and a privilege it is. And how, um, I, I suppose, how, how foolish it is for us to not recognize that value. Um, and, and I'm guilty of this. I'm, I mean, like, Me uh, w- w- in my younger years, um, I didn't really, I don't think I really appreciated the value of a life, of a, of a baby. Um, and I, I hadn't stopped to ponder the, the wonder that my wife and I can create a new life. And we have created um, four children together yeah. that we've raised and that we love dearly. And I cannot imagine my life without them. That's right. Um, that is something that whenever you have a culture that does not uphold that value, then it is up to the church and to Christians to uphold it in the absence of it being upheld elsewhere. That's right. So we're having to, we're having to teach about it, to talk about it, to model it, demonstrate it. And as the culture continues to devalue children, Christians are going to be seen as increasingly weird. And I've heard stories, and I'm sure you could probably tell a number of these stories, of walking into a store, going to a restaurant, people seeing the you know, miniature bus that you drive yeah. to transport your children. And it's like, a, I'd say, man, what's up with those weirdos? Yeah, do you not understand that there's birth control? Did you don't know where you? babies come from? Right. <laughs> yeah, it, it's... Uh, it's shocking that a culture, well, it, it's shocking un, until you connect the dots, that a culture that, you know, valorizes supposed tolerance so much yeah. really hates children. That's it, right. It has no patience with children and babies in particular. Um, we would you know, imagine a, a popular sitcom or, or a commercial talking about a 25-year-old transgendered person the way we talk about babies. We just, mm. we can't stand them. And, and we think it's weird that people would want to have more than two. Yeah. So I think it reveals, we don't actually, as a society right now, we don't actually uh, love human beings. We're not standing in wonder of a human being. Yeah. Um, be- well, that's a, that's a common trope in movies to where it's like humans are, humans are this infection that's right. on an otherwise pristine and pure right. earth. And we are the disease, the cancer that just destroys things because right. human beings are seen as the problem. In reality, we have less starvation and hunger per capita today than we did a hundred years ago because human beings by God's grace and through his design are able through ingenuity and the, the application of the principles that we learn about how God made the world, we're actually able to make the world better. That's right. We're actually able to bring more out of the earth. It's almost like he intends us to have dominion over it or something. <laughs> uh, that's good. So yeah, so we do need, we need to be aware as Christians, and I would say uh, even in, in regions of the country and regions of the West maybe, where uh, it's there may not be spiritual revival, but there is still hospitality towards the Bible. We need to be aware of the fact that how we talk about children and our own sexual immorality, they are a part of abortion's foothold in America. Yeah. So to be candid, if, if you go down to SEC country, where everybody is at least okay with the idea of church and the Bible, if, if there's a bunch of people who may not be regenerate but are okay with Christianity, but they're shacking up with their girlfriend, yeah. where they're looking at a lot of porn, that is not disconnected from the abortion foothold in America. And you can, wrote, you can vote Republican as much as you want to. But if we normalize that sort of sexual deviancy and sin, and if we normalize looking at children as though they're a germ, mm-hmm. we do have part of the blood on our hands Yeah, of the 60-plus million babies that... Yeah, well, I mean, this is... This is something that is that it was obvious to the the entire world, um, literally, until about fifty years ago, 
And that is sex leads to babies. Yes, that's right. And so if you want to have sex, you need to be prepared for the babies that will definitely come as a result. That's right. And that's why societies upheld marriage and they valued marriage. They saw the household as being a good thing that needs to be protected and promoted and prized by a society. All of those things are true. Um, but, but, but we now live in a world where it is possible to have sex without the possibility of pregnancy. Right. And so that connection does not exist in our mind. At least it's, it's, we know it, but it, it can almost be an abstraction. That's not a real possibility that's right. because there's condoms, there's birth control or whatever. And so now whenever a woman does find herself being pregnant, it's because, you know, either she didn't use protection or, or whatever. And now it's like, okay, we have this thing that we didn't expect. We call it an unplanned pregnancy as though it just happened. Right. As though it's like she, she caught a baby the way you would catch a cold. It just happened. And it's like, oh, my goodness, what am I going to do about this thing? It's like, well, sex creates that. Sex causes that. And so sexual morality, sexual promiscuity um, is... It is the uh, it is a, a contributing factor to the abortion epidemic that we have, but it's- and also a, a contributing factor to the fact that nobody's satisfied. Sex will inevitably become less satisfying and less meaningful when you divorce it from childbearing. Hmm. That's good. If I'm a married couple and I say, I'd like I like sex, I don't like babies, and I continue to have sex artificially closing off the possibility of childbearing, you will find over time that that sex will become less meaningful and less satisfying. Yeah. Because you're taking one part of a gift that is a composite. That's right. God made sex to be pleasurable and relationship building between husband and wife and, wait for it, fruitful. Yeah. And if you artificially through the, you know, inordinate use of condoms or through taking birth control pills, which are abortifacients, by the way, no, nobody should take birth control pills. Um, but if you artificially close off the possibility of pregnancy while you have sex, you are going to see over time that that sex yeah. will become less satisfying because you're saying to God, I know you made this thing and you put it together. Yeah. I only want one part of it. Yeah. Well, yeah, we, the, th- the way God designed it is for sex and babies and for the creation of a household, uh, for marriage. These things belong together. That's right. And they, they, they should always go together. And whenever you start to, to take it apart and you redefine marriage to where it doesn't need to have any possibility, it could be, you could marry two men. Right. Uh, you could marry a sex doll. Yeah, you could, yeah if you're, you're, you're pulling apart God's design, and what you're doing is you're undermining a foundational layer to society. And what you end up with is chaos, which is where we are in 2022. Right. It is good for our house, our street, my city, my church, all our friends, when my kids look at me and they see me kiss my wife and they know, oh, that's why we all exist. Yeah. That's why this household exists is because daddy thinks mommy's pretty and he kisses her. Yeah. That, that is good. That is healthy. That's appropriate. That's the way God made the world. So that's the lay of the land. Um, can we dig in a little deep, uh, more deeply into um, specifically what is happening in the United States when abortions occur, why abortions occur, um, specifically, I'll, I'll kick us off this way. In New York City, this is a pretty well-known statistic, but I looked it up yesterday just to make sure, and this is the case year over year. There are more black babies aborted in New York City, typically, in any given year, than are born alive. Hmm. You cannot have that kind of a holocaust in a community, in, in an individual ethnic community, or in a community like literally a municipality, the city of New York City. You can't kill that many human beings and not have it have an effect. 
Absolutely. You, how many how many scientists, how many artists, how many Christians, how many pastors, how many mothers, how many fathers, how many thinkers, how many farmers did you murder hmm. before they got to do what God would have called them to do in the ordinary course of human life or God willing as Christians? Yeah. Um, so we, we have that component uh, of just missing human beings. We yeah. have 60 plus million missing human beings since Roe v. Wade. Our population should be 400 million. Hmm. And we've got lots of space for them. Don't buy into the overpopulation. Right. Yet, we've got lots of space for them. You could fit every human being and earth in the state of Texas. Well, I mean, even with the majority of abortions uh, taking place in the black community, which is a small percentage of our overall population, right. but they have the majority of the abortions. We're talking about the black population in America is is half of what it otherwise would have been right. were it not for abortion. Yeah. And that, that is going to lead to um, incredible problems that it'll probably take generations or centuries to unravel. I mean, it, it took several hundred years, I think, before people realized what the Black Death did to Europe and to the Middle Ages. Mm. Um, it'll probably take a few hundred years for people to realize, oh my goodness, the tens of millions of Americans who were murdered before they got to take a breath outside the womb. Look, look at what America suffered because of that. Yeah, um, it, it's taken generation or so for people to realize what sex selective abortions is doing in India and in China in artificially skewing the the number of males versus right. females. So there there are all these unintended. You can't commit a sin, especially a grievous sin, an assault against creation, the way murder is. You can't commit a sin and just hide it and hope that the effects don't ever come up. Correct. This is what Cain found out when he murdered Abel. Yeah. Abel's blood was crying out from the ground, and Cain had consequences to face, earthly consequences under God's providence to face because he committed murder. America is going to face consequences yeah. for the 60-plus million babies we've murdered. Yeah. Um, any, any other uh, issues that we want to dive more deeply into? What about uh, health risks? What about the selling of baby parts? Did you follow the David Delighton thing? I, th I think you and I went to Planned Parenthood one time right after David Delighton. Oh, right, right, right. Yeah, that was the... Um, selling of baby parts. and I did. I've, I followed it. I, I haven't followed it since that time, uh, but I yeah. was aware at the time. Yeah, it was uh, It was pretty horrifying. He, he started the Center for Medical Progress. He uh, took those videos, released them. And then, of course, the... The, the great PR move of calling those videos heavily edited as though a woman saying that she's going to crush above the thorax and below the thorax, but keep the lungs and heart intact could be impacted by editing. Yeah. He didn't edit her saying those words. Right. Uh, and then he, he released, I think the full videos and full transcripts anyways. But um, yeah, there was, there was definitely a, a response to those videos, I think from a lot of people, which is, it is good in a sense that seeing a woman describe how she's going to keep parts of the baby's body intact when she murders it, yeah. that that would elicit some kind of response. But it shouldn't take that. It shouldn't have taken that uh, for Christians to respond. Yeah. Well, I think, I think it, it awakened people to... It, you can... You can be, be, I think you can get discouraged. And a lot of Christians may get discouraged or feel like, well, this is happening. We feel powerless. What can we do? Um and so that situation sort of awakened within them, once again, a reminder, uh, an inflection point that could really show it's like, this truly is horrific. And yeah. was was able to um, just be a powerful reminder for them once again. Yeah. I, I also do think if, if we're diving deeply, we owe it 
to people and to ourselves to be very clear about, you do have a political party here that is not merely advocating for allowing abortion, which would be wicked enough, but is actually trying to destigmatize it, to say there is sure. nothing wrong with this procedure where we chemically or mechanically end the life of a baby and throw its body into the trash can or sell it its parts. Yeah, but it's not like the Bill Clinton days where where he talked about abortion should be safe, legal, and rare, which from a political standpoint, a messaging standpoint, was moderate and pretty right. sharp. That was a that was a uh, that was a smart move uh, from a political standpoint. He'd be rebuked by today's Democratic. Yeah, Party. but but to, but today, like that, like today's Democratic Party is is all in on right. abortion, um, and it's a, it's it's an industry. It's kind of like. Uh, if you have stock in Intel, right. as a, it's like you want that company to succeed. And that's the abortion industry is a moneymaker. That's exactly right. Um, and so you have people that are invested in it. Planned Parenthood is, uh, is, is an extremely wealthy uh, organization that's able to funnel lots and lots of money into campaigns to support the pro-abortion cause in elections around the country. That's why so many of these ballot initiatives failed. And so you have politicians who are being supported by Planned Parenthood. Um, and so they, yeah. in the Democratic Party, it's like they're paid for. They're, right. They are paid money by lobbyists to support abortion from a very well-funded, powerful organization that has the, also the power to shame or to you know harm somebody's political career. Um, so it's the Democratic Party is is totally in support of abortion, and any Democratic politician that does not participate in that. Yeah, he's not going to lie. Yeah. They're, they're, they don't have much of a career, much of right. a future in the Democrat Party. And you're seeing people have to change uh, positions that they have they've held historically, like Joe Biden, yeah, uh, who used to be, as I, I believe, a practicing Roman Catholic, or to you know, to some degree, Roman Catholic, used to be more in the Bill Clinton mold. He was in his positions, and yet now he has no choice but to be a hardliner. Yeah, he he has gotten more extreme on pretty much every issue. Yeah, I mean he's. he's he, he is, there's nothing centrist about him. Right. So I think that we, we as Christians, we have to be aware. So ultimately what we hope for is that as Jesus Christ is king over America and over the world, spiritual revival will be the soil that the end of abortion grows in, that, mm -hmm. that thousands, millions, tens of millions of people will be converted to Christ. And then in that soil, uh, the end of abortion will grow. But at the same time, right now here, I also have to be aware of where abortion is being most lionized yeah. and where it's being most defended. And there's just simply no way around it. The Democratic Party is defending it right down the line. Yeah, full-throated, unqualified um, advocacy yeah. for abortion in the Democratic Party. So that's probably a good, a good segue for us to take a look at the sophistry that's happening. So each week we want to uh, unmask the sophistry of the unbelieving world or of... Um, the demonic realm or of our culture as it may be trying to protect a particular sin or a particular sentiment. And sophistry is the cunning use of words and thought to, without giving away your end game, without tipping your hand, yep. move the ball down the field a little bit. So we're going to play with words. We're going to use words that we know mean one thing to you, but by which we can actually mean something else. That's right. We get a foothold in your heart. We get a foothold in your mind. Who doesn't want to protect women's rights? Right. Who doesn't want to protect a woman's body? Yeah. Um, 
you know, unless we want to make her get a COVID vaccine, but that's, that's a different <laughs> topic. Uh, but so by using that, by, 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 by a, a cunning use of vocabulary um, and ideas to, to, to make a change in the world around you. Uh, so it's, it's underhanded. It's not plain spoken. You know, the yeah. apostles in the book of Acts, especially, while, while certainly were not needlessly belligerent, they were plain spoken. Yeah. Jesus Christ has been raised from the dead. This happened under Pontius Pilate, and you should repent and believe in Jesus. He was from the town of Nazareth. Mm-hmm. You can go see the tomb. You can go talk to the 500 yep. witnesses who were there, who saw him raised from the dead. Um, they, they were not trying to sort of covertly, you know, through, through espionage almost, get you to become a Christian. Yeah. That's, that's what we want to do, but we realize that the world is doing something else. Yeah, so what kind of sophistry are you seeing about abortion? You used an example earlier from what you read um, about the sophistry was the way they described what we know to be crushing the skull right. of a child. Right. Uh, do you remember what that what that language was on that Wikipedia page? Uh, decompression of the skull can be accomplished, and then the other one was uh, its removal may require mechanical collapse. Mechanical collapse. A mechanical collapse. I mean, that sounds like, you know, a, a, a crane That's right. building a skyscraper that, that might collapse on a building. But we're talking about using a machine to crush the skull of a human being. Right. And, and a vulnerable. Right. You know, this is like a, a child who is innocent, vulnerable, within the mother's womb to crush that child's skull. But we're going to call it a mechanical collapse. Right. Would we have described the Sandy Hook shooting that way? No, Would no. Would we have said that the guy who broke in and used an automatic weapon, he caused mechanical collapse in the rib cages or skulls yeah. of those children? Yeah, he, yeah, we wouldn't speak that way. But, I mean, the, the, we speak that way um, in order to obscure truth, to make something horrific sound a little bit more acceptable. Mm-hmm. And I think that the, that the language of a clump of tissue, mm-hmm. um, like... Tissue is is something that you talk about that is a a part of your body. It's like you know, well, you know, the there's scar tissue right. from this wound. You talk about a part of your body that is healing, but you do not talk about an entire person and describe them as a clump of tissue. That that is sophistry is is a way to a, a way to obscure meaning mm-hmm. uh, through euphemisms, through um, a, a clever use of words. But I mean, really, it's it's a deceptive. It's a deception. Yep. It's a way of not. So a, a way like here. Here's a question: Like, would you have a problem calling abortion murder? Of course, absolutely not. not. Yeah, because that's what it is. Yeah. We're ending a human life willfully against a person who is who is innocent, mm-hmm. has not done anything at all to deserve that. But that is. There are very few people who are willing to speak in those terms. Right. I abort the launch of a spaceship. Right? <laughs> I murder children. Yeah. Um, abort is what you do whenever your plane is about to go down, exactly and you right. do it to save to your save life. Save human lives. That's right. Yeah. Abort. Abort. Right. It's funny that you um, that you bring up that clump of tissue thing. I hadn't thought about this till just now, but there was actually a young lady who I knew from Christian acting group, and who went here for a while. Who went to our, our church, our church okay. before before I joined up. And one time I was uh, interacting about these issues on Facebook, and she, uh, she in, in our interchange, she used the clump of tissue um, hmm. uh, language, and we had just had a miscarriage, which, by the way, can be called uh, an abortion, uh, which is another play of language. We'll call this part, th- this spontaneous uh, 
abortion. We'll call it miscarriage of spontaneous abortion. So that you see, really, it's the really same we've all thing. had abortions anyways. Yeah, I mean, abortion you've had a miscarriage, right? Um, but she used that, and we had just had a miscarriage. So I sent her a picture of the ultrasound of the baby we lost. Uh, and, and I think it was before nine weeks. I mean, this was early. Mm. This was this was the same time period where people are going to Planned Parenthood and and paying for their children to be murdered. I sent her an ultrasound pic, picture and the little hat that my wife had knit hmm. for him or her. Oh man! And I said this was not a clump of tissues. This was yeah. this was my baby, my son or daughter. Yeah. You don't bear. knit a hat right. for clump of tissue on your arm where right. there's a wound. And I wouldn't refer to your grandmother when I'm giving her a eulogy at her funeral as a clump of tissue. Right. She's your grandmother. This was my son or daughter. Um, yeah, so that is, that is, that's a phenomenal example of sophistry and something that we can as Christians undermine by speaking without sophistry. Yeah. Well, I think this, this is important, and this is something that we'll, we will— will do as a regular feature on this podcast is unmasking the sophistry because this is the devil's tactic to to deceive in general uh, by not using clear language right by undermining the truth by uh, flattery by uh, soft spoken words feel throughout scripture deception is not deception comes uh, by speaking oftentimes by speaking of something positively that's a negative. That's right. So woe to those who call evil good and good evil. And so what happens in the church is that there is a desire to speak the language of culture. Uh, we want to contextualize, which is what um, the, you know, the mission uh, evangelism outreach type of experts would call it. You, you contextualize your message to embody it within a certain locale, a certain context that you're ministering to. Well, how do the people in our context speak about issue X or issue Y? We want to be able to preach the gospel within that context mm-hmm. using that similar language. What happens with, with a particular issue of ethical uh, importance, like abortion, is that if we talk about that issue the way the world talks about it, we, then we, we feel somewhat duty-bound to use the same sophistry yep. and the same deceptive language that the world uses and what we do is we lose our ability to speak prophetically. To, and, but when I say prophetically, I don't mean uh, to be needlessly combative, to mm-hmm. be a jerk. I'm just saying like to speak with, if God were here and if God were standing That's right. and watching an abortion take place, what would he call it? That's right. Would he say, boy, that that's a shame that they removed that clump of tissue mm-hmm. for that woman's body, but I hope she has good health care. Right. He would say that's murder. Because that's what it is. That's because exactly. that's what the scripture calls it, and there are there are scriptures that speak specifically to abortion. It's not as though abortion is a modern phenomenon. I mean, this is something that we see um, a a version of the same thing in the Bible, even. Yeah. So we know how God would speak about it, and it is it is wrong for Christians to to lose our uh, our honesty, to to lose our ability to speak directly to the issue because we're trying to speak in the language of the culture, which right. is usually de- often deceptive on these type of issues. Yeah, that's exactly right. If I'm walking into my son's room, God forbid, someday, and he's looking at pornography, I don't want to speak in language uh, like, hey, hey, son, listen, I know you're, you're struggling with some temptations right now, right? I want to shut off his computer, look him in the eye, and say, don't look at naked people having sex on that computer anymore. That is wicked. I love you. I'm for you. We don't look at naked people having sex in this house. 
Yeah. That's, that's how we deal with things. We deal with things with um, the force of truth uh, in love, yeah. knowing that God is powerful enough to, to meet us uh, in, that, in that dialogue. Yeah. Amen. So you brought up scripture. It'd be a good. It'd be a good point. Now let's bring the Bible and um, and the church fathers and Christian uh, history to bear on the topic of abortion. Do Do you have any biblical passages in particular that you'd like to bring up? Um, the The one that comes to mind um, immediately is, is is from Psalm one thirty nine, when um, David is talking about um, being fearfully and wonderfully made, mm-hmm. and what's What's powerful about that particular text is um, he's not merely speaking about his existence as a man being fearfully and wonderfully made, but he's talking about how um, about his his how God created him before uh, before he was born. So this is Psalm one thirty nine verse thirteen. For you formed my inward parts; you knitted me together in my mother's womb. Mm. So he's he's referring to a me. So the, whatever that thing was in his mother's womb, it is what David would later say, that's a me. That's, yeah. That is my existence. I existed as a human being before I was born when God was knitting me together. And he also attributes his formation within his mother's womb as not merely a biological process, but something that God is actively doing by his divine hand, creating and crafting a life within his mother's womb. And then the very next verse, he says, I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. And so he's, he's describing his own, his own existence being made by God from before the time of his birth as created. Mm. And he, he said it was a wonderful thing. Um, and of course, it harkens back to um, God creating man and woman in His image, Genesis one. Yeah, um, it's the same concept here applied um, in David's time. That God is the author of the thing that is inside of us. That when when I am a woman and I am pregnant, inside of me is a God-authored human being. That's right. Um, let me let me just read for a moment Jeremiah thirty-two. So, uh, in the book of Jeremiah, God has a lot of hard things to say to the kingdom of Judah. They are about to be conquered and sent into exile by Nebuchadnezzar. And one of the one of the few explicit sins, uh, so idolatry is a recurring theme, but, but one of the few other explicit sins that God names in the book for why he's going to do what he's going to do is their infanticide. Hmm. Uh, and beginning in verse 26 of chapter 32, God says, the word of Yahweh came to Jeremiah. Behold, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. Is anything too hard for me? Therefore, thus says the Lord, behold, I am giving this city into the hands of the Chaldeans and into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. He shall capture it. The Chaldeans who are fighting against this city shall come and set this city on fire and burn it. Your city is going to be burned, Jeremiah. With the houses on whose roofs offerings have been made to Baal and drink offerings have been poured out to other gods to provoke me to anger. For the children of Israel and the children of Judah have done nothing but evil in my sight from their youth. The children of Israel have done nothing but provoke me to anger by the work of their hands, declares the Lord. This city has aroused my anger and wrath from the day it was built to this day so that I will remove it from my sight and 
because of all the evil of the children of Israel and the children of Judah that they did to provoke me to anger, their kings and their officials, their priests and their prophets, the men of Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem. They have turned to me their back and not their face, though I have taught them persistently, they have not listened to receive instruction." They set up their abominations in the house that's called by my name to defile it. Here, watch this. They built the high places of Baal in the valley of the son of Hinnom to offer up their sons and daughters to Molech, though I did not command them, nor did it enter into my mind that they should do this abomination to cause Judah to sin. Wow. I am going to destroy this city and destroy this nation. I'm going to use a pagan people to do it. Because, among other things, among your idolatry, you have burned your sons and your daughters. Yeah. So that's the one sin. Yes. The one specific sin that yes. is mentioned in this text yes. is is the killing of their own children to offer them in a sacrifice. In a, in a sacrifice. And that is what abortion does. Abortion is your life, baby, for mine. I, I, yeah. I, and... This is essentially the God of mammon, I, typically. I, I want my career, I want my money, I want my freedom, I want my material life unchanged. Therefore, I will have, pay someone to poison you uh, and, and suck your body out of my womb. Yeah. Wow. Um, so, and, and another, just another prophetic uh, verse here from Amos. This is one of the minor prophets. Um, Thus says the Lord in Amos 1.13, Thus says the Lord, for three transgressions of the Ammonites, and for four I will not revoke the punishment, because they have ripped open pregnant women in Gilead, that they might enlarge their border. Hmm. So again, for material increase, for material uh, blessing, I'm going to rip open pregnant women and kill what's inside of them. That's just a, that's such a graphic image that it's 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 it is it is painful just to to think about that's right um mm. let me let me offer just a, a couple of more here biblical thoughts uh from genesis chapter one when god creates the first man in verse 27 so god created man in his own image in the image of god he created him male and female he created them and God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. Yeah. So built in to the call and vocation of humanity is childbearing. That's right. The thing that God calls essential to our task as humans, we in America call a burden and a problem to be solved through, among other methods, yeah. abortion. Yeah. Well, I think this is something that we'll, we'll develop in a different episode. But the, the, the text that you read there in Genesis 1, the be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it, I think we, it, it's easy to read that as two different commands in succession. Mm -hmm. So God blessed them and said, first, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Okay, that's one thing. That's like, okay, have a bunch of babies. And then here's this other thing that I want you to do, which is subdue it and have dominion. Mm -hmm. I think what we're seeing rather is uh, an end and a means. The, the end is the dominion over the earth. And right. the means of doing that is by establishing households. That's right. Um, and up until the last 50 to 100 years or so, this was sort of, it was, it was acknowledged and known that um, a just like a church is a household, a nation is a household. That's right. Um, and a kingdom 
um, they're the the idea of a kingdom or a king um, has you know as kind of the root of that is kin. It's like the the kingdom is uh, in 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 some sense the kin um, or the or the children of the father of that nation that or city state or whatever it is. But it's a the but the king is it, it is a family. It is like we are a connected people. Um, and so the the way that dominion is exercised, that rule is exercised, is through people that are that are related to one another, not just as isolated individuals, but they're in, in a structure of mother, father, children, aunts, uncles, brothers, sisters. This household structure, and that is that that is how God intends for His people to rule the earth, and that is a necessity of having children. Um, of course, Genesis one was before the fall. But we know after the fall, mm-hmm. even more necessary is because we die, and if we don't, if if we don't reproduce, and many countries are below the replacement rate, yeah, and um, they're not able to re- re- replace their own populations and they're in decline, their nation will die, That's because right. their future uh, is being. There it, may not be a South Korea in a hundred years. Two point one is the replacement level. I think they're at point eight four. 0.84? Yeah. Wow. And with, we just read, 59% or something of their women who get abortions saying they do so to remain child-free. They do not want children. Right. Yeah. There may not be a South Korea. Do you know what it is in the United States? Uh, I think 1.6. So we're well below replacement rate. Yeah. Yeah. I think uh, China is at 1.7. We're at 1.6. Japan's at 1.3. Um, yeah, Nigeria, which I believe right now is the fourth most populated country on earth, will will lap us, uh, you know, within the next I think fifty or hundred years because of their high birth rate. Yeah, uh, and a, and a largely, uh, at least in certain geographical regions, I think a largely Christian country. Um, the the re- so, and we'll come in for a landing here briefly, but just one more passage uh, that sort of underscores what you're saying that. Through most of human history, this was understood, and we seem to be blind to it now, willfully blind to it now, that childbearing is a good and that a good nation is built up of good households and a good church is built up of good households and a good street or city or neighborhood is built up of good households. Uh, in Second Timothy, or I'm sorry, First Timothy 2, 8 through 15, the last sentence, the last verse there, 15, where he is prescribing... Uh, a woman's conduct in the gathered church, it sounds so strange to us, this verse, yeah. but it would not sound strange to most people throughout human history. Yet she, the woman, will be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith and love and holiness with self-control. So obviously with saved, taking scripture with scripture, we know he does not mean you're literally justified before God through childbearing, right. but he does mean something. He does mean some sort of restoration and he says it happens, that sort of womanly restoration happens through childbearing. Now to us, that to most people in 2022 in America, that verse is either offensive or totally nonsensical. It yeah. makes no sense at all. But that's our problem. That's not the text's <laughs> problem. Yeah. There is apparently something restorative, something proper and pre-fall almost about a woman having children. And that thing, that good thing, that thing the Bible sees as beautiful is what we try to stave off through condoms, birth control pills, and abortion. Yeah. Hmm. Um, let me just offer a few quotes from our church fathers, the, the uh, men from the first few hundred years after Jesus' ascension. Uh, this is from the Die Dash, about a hundred years after Jesus. You shall not murder a child by abortion, nor kill one who has been born. This 
next quote is from, uh, I'll, I'll read several actually, from Tertullian, who is the church father who coined the word Trinity, or at least yeah, may yeah. have coined the word Trinity. Uh, he's about 200 years after Jesus' birth. Tertullian says, quote, In our case, murder is once for all forbidden in our being Christians. Therefore, we may not destroy even the fetus in the womb, while as yet the human being derives blood from other parts of the body for its sustenance. So even though it gets its sustenance from her, we do not murder him or her, the baby. To hinder a birth is merely a speedier way to kill a human. Hmm. It does not matter whether you take away a life that has been born or destroy one that is not yet born. Hmm. That's Tertullian. Uh, another one, in case you just thought uh, mechanical abortion was something new that they didn't used to use tools to kill babies inside the womb. They did. Tertullian says, Among surgeons' tools, there is a certain instrument that is formed with a nicely adjusted flexible frame for, first of all, opening the uterus and then keeping it open. It also has a circular blade by means of which the limbs within the womb are dissected with careful but unflinching care. Its last appendage is a blunted or covered hook by which the entire fetus is extracted by violent delivery. There is also a copper needle or spike by which the actual death is brought about in this treacherous robbery of life. Hmm. From its infanticide function, they give it the name Killer of the Infant, which infant, of course, had once been alive. What was that quote from? Uh, I'm not sure. His, I think his... His completed work should have it, but I, I don't know. Um, I, I think most of what Tertullian wrote weren't, weren't like books in the That was sense. Tertullian. That was Tertullian, okay. yes. Wow. That was Tertullian. I don't know wow. which, which work. Hmm. Um, just one more. This is from Mark Minucius Felix about the same time as Tertullian, 200 years after Christ's birth. There are some women who, by drinking medical preparations, extinguish the source of the future man in their very bowels. So they commit murder before they bring forth. And these things assuredly come down from the teaching of your gods. You, Rome, hmm. and your false gods are the ones who brought about and yeah. sustain and applaud the medical murder of a baby in the womb. So was that Tertullian still? That last one was Mark Municius okay. Felix. And he's he's speaking sort of against the yes. practice of Rome. Correct. So he's speaking to his culture. Right. In a, dare I say, not very winsome way. That's right. And he's denouncing a sin That's that right. is common in their culture. That's right. Yep. The, the idea of being so cagey and so... Um, maybe a, a more charitable way to, to view this approach that I disagree with. The idea of being so uh, uh, thoughtful and deliberate as to never give offense or to give offense as rarely as possible, that would look weird to most of church history. Right. Most Christians who came mm -hmm. before us were not trying to necessarily, you know, without any cause all the time, make people angry. But they were not obsessed. They did not have a fetish for being credible and... Right. Beloved, yeah. Well, their... respectability is one of the idols of our day, yeah, in the modern church. But that's a topic for another yes. episode, I guess. <laughs> All right. So we've looked at what the what the Bible and our Christian history have to say about abortion. Um, before we end on a hopeful note, let's take a look at some logs and specs in the Christian church, and in particular in our church and in our own lives. So, Michael, I'll let you go first. Where are you 
seeing or have you seen some of the some of this movement and this battle yeah. getting a foothold in your own heart or your church's heart? Yeah, I, I've already mentioned this earlier, just how um, I remember uh, being on a retreat. Um, I was I used to be on staff with crew, um, and there was a, 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 a woman I was speaking with at this retreat, um, and through, she, she made a comment. That was the first time I'd heard it, but she just said that um, a lot of Christians now see children as a burden, not a blessing. Yeah. And that was convicting for me because I realized at that time that was how I thought. And it was something that I was like, okay, I, that's what I think. Um, I, I, I value children in concept. Um, but when I think about actual babies mm-hmm. being around them, I don't enjoy babies. That was the way I felt at the time. And part of this guy, got, I didn't really have a lot of babies that I grew up around because mm-hmm. um, I was... Um, I was the youngest of two, and then my little sister was born, and I was eight. But um, but it wasn't like I was just around babies all the time. Yeah. So that I was I was very convicted by that, and um, and repented of that attitude. Um, but but still, there's there's still within me um, an annoyance that I could have with the inconvenience that babies will will naturally bring. And um, that's that's something that I think is just a, a continual thing where I have to keep a tender heart before the Lord and just acknowledge that I do not value life the way God does, and that I, I've grown in that area. Yeah. But there is there is still within me those temptations to not to not see life the way God does. Yeah. Um. So so that's 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 one area, um, and I think like within my church. Um, our church, um, there is a, I think that same, the same type of mindset, um, can be pervasive here. Um, and it's, I don't think it's a unique thing in our church. I think it is a, it, it is a thing that is part of our culture that we absorb. Um, you, you watch sitcoms or shows or movies and you, you, the sort of common jokes that mm-hmm. are made about kids, um, I, I, it's much more common when I think of like the, just what what have I seen in entertainment? What is more common, and I see this, I, I think it's probably almost exclusively this way, that children are the ones, they make messes, mm. they're loud, they're obnoxious, they're disobedient, they're rebellious, and they run the place. They run the home. And you have parents that have little kids, they're running around, they can't keep up, they have zero authority, yeah. there's no discipline, and the parents are just sort of overwhelmed and tired. And so what we do, because we want to we want parents to feel like, hey, you're, you're, we want them to feel encouraged and optimistic and hopeful. We want to tell them like, hey, we know it's like, it's rough. You just got to survive it. And we, there, there isn't a, a message of, hey, like you can do something about this. Like you're, uh, you can, you can run your household in such a way to where you have obedient, respectful children that can be a delight to you. Um, we don't, I don't really hear that kind of message, at least not in entertainment. I no. see it in the church. Um, and the church is filled with with families that have wonderful children, um, but that but what I see in media and entertainment is kids are a pain. Yeah. Um, and for those that choose to have them, uh, you just gotta you just gotta suck it up and bear with it until they get old enough to reason with them. That's right. And that's uh, that. I, I think that I've I've seen that sort of attitude play out in my own heart. I've seen it in in people that I know. Um, I think it's it's a, it's a common thing just to view kids as as a nuisance. Yeah. 
That's that we drink from that well. I mean, if you imagine, if you were uh, a Christian who grew up in 1920s, 30s, 40s, deep South, and you had been taught by your culture, perhaps even media, that your black neighbor was somehow less than you, yeah. or somehow a problem to be solved. Um, if you repented of that, and even your whole society seemed to repent of that over time, it's not that hard for me to imagine that guy still having trouble not thinking that way 40, 50 yeah, years later, his life. where he's going to be sitting next to a black guy in church and, and, and having those old feelings rise up yeah. again. Well, it's the same sort of thing here, but towards a different kind of human being. That's it's right. towards children and babies. And our whole society views them as a problem to be solved. And so even if you as a Christian... And your church, or maybe our whole society, somehow repents of that. That's going to take a long time yeah. to denest out of the human heart. And I still have it myself. Absolutely, I had to early on. Uh, I was much more. I was a Christian feminist for a few years, uh, then still very liberal politically and theologically, and into the emergent thing in the early two thousands, um, and then really all the way up probably to about 2005, 2006, I was very, very uh, kid-glovish with the sins that the left would want to protect. So yeah. I, I would come hard at racism, but I'm going to be real, real polite when it comes to abortion or homosexuality. Yeah. So those are all things I've had to repent of and that still have footholds in my heart. Yeah. Um, but it, an early one for us was when we got married, realizing, okay, unless we've got some solid reasons here we really should not be preventing pregnancy um, because I'm seeing the Bible talk about these things that he makes inside of my wife as blessings and as fruit and as arrows in the, in the quiver of a man. So even though I think they're annoying and I don't like changing <laughs> diapers and I hate noise, we're going to go ahead and treat them that way on faith. Uh, and in particular, not use birth control pills once I found out that they thin the lining of the uterus so that implantation can't happen. Hmm. So a fertilized egg cannot implant. Um, I had no idea until we got married. So to this day, I still have to remind myself when Sarah tells me she's pregnant or when a baby is loud or last night I was standing with Azariah at his pack and play trying to help him sleep and thinking I'm going to be tired for this podcast. I have to remind myself, <laughs> God calls these babies blessings. Amen. Um, I, I do have a couple of, so I used to be, you know, win some Wade. That's, that's the moniker that I've given myself as a part of this podcast. I did come up with a couple sermon titles, the old, uh, well, hold on. I, before you get it. So win some Wade, like we're on staff at a church here. Yes. And so, uh, Wade and I have known each other for 10 years, 10, maybe a little more now. Yeah. So we've known each other and we we're at the same church now, but we first met each other as church planters. Mm -hmm. And uh, so Wade has been involved in different church plants and ministry in various places. So uh, Wade is a fantastic preacher. And uh, so we, so he's, uh, as he's, what did you call yourself? Uh, evangelical feminist or something? Yeah, like you used to be? <laughs> I, yeah. Even if I hadn't used the terminology, I was. I, yeah, I was a feminist. Uh, I, before that, I was a hardcore pacifist. Uh, my first presidential vote in 2004 was for John Kerry, about two miles from where we're standing uh, <laughs> or sitting here in Clifton. Um, yeah, so I was third. I, I was into the emergent thing, uh, you know, Donald Miller and Rob. Oh, Bell. I remember those days. Yeah. <laughs> so that Wade, if and when he was given the chance to teach or preach, that was before I became a planter, but certainly had some 
uh, I was a pastor's kid and, and yeah. had served as a youth pastor at least for a bit. I had some ability within the Christian community to, to teach or write. It would have all been stuff that now would make me dry heave. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, so what you're going to so what you have here are sermon titles yeah. of how you would preach about abortion if you were preaching back in those yes. days. Yes, correct. So this is Winsome Wade, right. who is uh, much more progressive. Uh, he's mm-hmm. Wanted to be on The Daily Show. I had a fantasy about being a guest who wrote a Christian <laughs> book and being on The Daily Show with Jon Stewart and having him go, now you're the kind of Christian I could like. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> well, so, you're, if you're winsome enough. Oh, yeah, uh, absolutely. That's I the just, way you do it. I just thought I was, yeah, I thought I was the bee's knees. So here's a couple sermon titles on abortion I might have come up with back then. It's complicated, the complex moral nuances of medically interrupting a pregnancy. Oh, that's gross. Mm, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I would have said the word nuance seven times in, in the opening alone. <laughs> oh, that's just disgusting. Toxic masculinity and the great awakening. How slaveholders Jonathan Edwards and George Whitfield are the real villains of the abortion movement. Oh, dude, mm-hmm. you were the worst. I know, I was. You, <laughs> I was. I would. I would. I would beat the snot out of this Wade if I ran into him. <laughs> one last one: blood on our hands. What the Handmaid's Tale can teach us about forced pregnancy. Ooh, so a nice cultural reference yeah, there. Absolutely. All right. And I would not have even read the Handmaid's Tale. I would have just acted like I had. Yeah. So yeah, I wouldn't have. I've never seen a Handmaid's Tale, but I'm I'm familiar with it. But it's it's like the it's a book about yeah basically the the goodness of. Uh, of feminism. Okay, so I'm learning here in real time that The Handmaid's Tale is not just a TV show. And no, it's a book. Uh, Margaret Atwood, I think, is the lady's name. Okay. My wife actually had to read it in public school, uh, despite the fact that it's it's pretty awful. Yeah. Uh, so, so there we go. That's that's uh, that's how I would have clumsily tried. Well, to... That's the sophistry, though. Yes. That's that's how, as a Christian pastor, you might have presented the issue in such a way that would have. Uh, given cover for abortion. So, if you, so if you have, I, I think if you have a respectable church, um, that is, that is, uh, that is winsome, mm-hmm. and you're you're feeling, um, you want people to feel good about coming to your church. Feel like I can I can proudly say the name of my church, or at least not feel as embarrassed. Um, then you're going to you're going to really tiptoe. Right around the hot button stuff, you and it's tip- not everyone. I think that that particular I I had that same disease, and it's I think we wanted elite people. We wanted the people, yes, the movers and the shakers of American society to to be comfortable. We were not really that worried about offending NASCAR fans. That's right. If you live in a trailer park, uh, if you're you know from rural West Virginia, if you voted for Donald Trump back then, we would have not been worried about offending you. Yeah, we were we were afraid of offending the people who attend the cocktail parties and, and the yeah. people who who make media, and, and that is especially in the urban church planning world, which is where I came from. Um, that that is that is an idol for a pastor. Absolutely, is to be a respectable, to be thought well of, um, because you see, it's like, well, I'm gaining influence amongst those who are the culture makers. Mm-hmm. Um, and what you're doing is you're uh, you're compromising on important issues of discipleship and uh, to, doing so in order to be thought well of. And that's fear of man. Yeah. And that, that's there is a lot about. of place to hide in nuance. Yes. And cowards love to hide. 
And I am still a coward in many ways. Me too. I will still often use the it's complicated verbiage when I'm too afraid and I need to repent of it. And I will not faithfully shepherd anybody if that cowardice dominates my speech. Yeah. 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 All right. Well, can you're you're my lead pastor? Uh, Can you give us some hope here? Give us some shepherding hope as we wrap up. Yeah. Well, the. So I I think it's been a mixed blessing. Um, That may not be the right way to say it, but the Hobbes decision uh, recently, which. It, it, it was a generational answer to prayer. Amen. We've been praying for this. Uh, people have been praying for this and working towards this since before I was born. Amen. 50 years uh, since uh, Roe v. Wade um, was first decided. So the Hobbes decision was was a monumental victory, a generational victory, a, a, an extreme answer to prayer. Praise God for that. Unfortunately, the damage was done in our culture because abortion had become um, such an accepted practice. So that as soon as Hobbes is decided, then it goes back to the states. And we've seen states, we've seen how they've decided. Um, So uh, I'm hopeful in one sense uh, for um, a major victory that that hopefully will at least localize the decision. Mm -hmm. Because if, if you can... If you could say, well, there's nothing I can do, it's all in the hands of nine Supreme Court justices, then really every four years at a presidential election is really – that's the only time you really have much hope of making any difference. And that's if a Supreme Court justice retires. Right. Right. So, but but now, if it's a local decision, it 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 increases, it, it puts it more in our hands yeah. uh, with state elected officials. Praise God. And and with that, then we, these are people that come from our state, or they might even be um, representatives that come from our own mm-hmm. our own town, much more accessible to us. Yeah. So, like Ohio just elected J.D. Vance as a mm-hmm. senator. He lives like two miles from my house yeah. in Walnut Hills. Um, I don't know him. I've never met him. But I'm like, I there that that is different. Yeah, to know that, that that my senator, one of my senators, is close to me. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, now that's a he's a national politician, and we're talking about now state politics. But 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 it is an important thing for us to recognize that um, the 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 fight for life of the unborn, we now have we now have multiple avenues, and what we may see happen, which I think is, it, it, it seems like this would be likely, is that you're going to have. Um, some areas of the country that where abortion will be legal and others where it will not, mm-hmm. um, and so that that does that. I have I have to place my hope not in uh, abortion being gone at the national level. I wish that it were so, but but I do have to focus. We have to focus our energy locally. So what what my wife does uh, is is more boots on the ground dealing with women that are making uh, making decisions about their pregnancy. Praise God for it. So we, as a church, we support them. Um, we pray for that ministry. The ministry is called Life Forward. Uh, we, we pray for them. We support them. Um, I think another thing to hope in is um, that Christians have, uh, we have a reason to, to multiply. Mm-hmm. God commanded us to do it. Um, and so there, there is, there is a, a value because our faith tells us this is part of our obedience to Christ. Um, and so to, you know, to, 
to put it in crass terms, conservatives have more babies than liberals do. Yep. And so people that want to abort their children, um, they're, they they don't value children. They're less likely to have them if they get pregnant. They they're just conservatives have big families generally. I don't. I, I'm not one of those that thinks that you ha- need to have as many babies as possible. But, um, but generally speaking, conservatives are more likely to have larger families. Um, we have four children, which, you know, it's a it's a good sized family mm-hmm. these days. Um, and I think like if if the church now, at least in our church, um, if we can support and uh, resource people that are that are as they're having children to uphold the value of children and babies support um pregnant mothers and mm-hmm. families and just for where it's something that's we celebrate this we value children mm-hmm. we love children um then if we play the long game yep in a in a generation's time um we can see some movement on the issue to where we might we might be able to um turn things around in terms of the cultural's under culture's understanding of it um so those are some things that 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 give me hope. Um, the, I mean, the the action really is. Um, it's it's going to be more local. Mm-hmm. Um, play the long game. Trust God's sovereignty and and act locally with as as much as we can to support pregnancy resource centers and and that sort of thing. Amen. Have children in faith. Raise them in faith. Celebrate them in faith. Yeah, that that makes me feel a lot better. Um, I'm going to close this out with a scripture, but first, I, I wanted to just read a couple of stats on abortion. Uh, these we, we want to end on a hopeful note. We want to end with some marching orders from our Lord Jesus, who is King of all creation. Uh, but I, I want to arm you with a few data points just for your own prayer life and conversations as you are out in the world thinking through and praying through abortion and what to do about it. Every year worldwide, there are 73 million abortions. That's from the World Health Organization. There are only about 200, 220 million pregnancies worldwide. If you do the math, that means one in every three pregnancies about right now ends in abortion. Worldwide. Worldwide. In the United States, there are 5.5 million pregnancies per year and about 880,000 abortions per year. That's from the Guttmacher Institute, the pro-abortion data collecting group. So uh, somewhere around one in every six or seven pregnancies in the United States ends in abortion. And, and even more than just the, the percentage, think about that head count. 800,000 plus murders inside the womb every year in our country. We have had 63 million plus abortions in the United States since Roe v. Wade first uh, took effect. And that means that there are 60 to 70 million human beings who are not here uh, with us doing what God would have had them do. There is a lot of blood on our hands, uh, but we we can have faith and hope as we tackle uh, infanticide and abortion. Let me end us with these words from our Lord Jesus. He is talking to some people who are opposed to him in the Gospel of John, chapter 8. In verse 42, Jesus says, If God were your father, you would love me, for I came from God and I am here. I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot bear to hear my word. You are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth 
because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. But because I tell the truth, you do not believe me. Friends, from the beginning, Satan was a liar and a murderer. His murdering and his lying go together. Yeah. Abortion is murder, and it is sitting atop a foundation of lies. But Jesus Christ came and tells the truth. Amen. And he is the giver of life. He has already defeated the father of abortion and the lies that uphold abortion. He has already defeated him. And one day we will see the last abortion. 